0: with your host, Mike Drohan. Together, we'll explore the stories and journeys of ordinary people doing extraordinary things.
1: Coach was high-fiving me and and they just said, you know, you've won a place to represent Victoria in the 24-hour championships. And I just remember everyone was clapping and cheering and I just thought, holy shit, I've got to do that all over again, twice as long? Are you kidding me?
0: That's professional speaker, author and health and lifestyle educator, Kim Morrison retelling her epic journey to becoming the youngest female to run 100 miles in less than 24 hours and setting a world record in the process. It's easy to perceive our sporting heroes as being almost more than human, possessing the genetics, innate drive and dedication that you or I simply may not have been gifted with. The narrative is rarely focused upon the times they quit, or even the fact that perhaps as was the case with Kim, they weren't even particularly interested in the sport to begin with. As it turns out, when Kim fell into ultramarathon, she was simply looking for the fastest way to accrue 200 hours of community service she needed in order to graduate from her sports and remedial massage diploma. So how did this reluctant runner switch grooves from a university student with a passion for netball? into becoming the best in the world at the cruel sport that is ultramarathon running. And what ultimately made her hang up her running shoes at her absolute peak? Gain insight to the mindset of this passionate and empowering epic champion of the art of self-love in this episode of the Doing Epic Stuff podcast. Kim, we're going to jump straight into it. You've got a lot of different things on your resume of life uh, even anything I just look at when I type in Kim Morrison is just like pops up with all sorts of different stuff. So I think we'll start probably around the start. One of the big events that really pops out to me was that in 1983, you set this world record as the youngest female to run hundred miles in less than 24 hours. Yes. So I would just like to unpack that a little bit because you know to the average human who maybe does a bit of jogging and I've <laughs> I've done a marathon once and that was a horrendous experience for me <laughs> I'd just like to hear basically what led up to you even intending to participate in in something like that such an, it's an astronomically huge uh human task
1: Yeah, it's surreal, really. It was in 1989, not 83. 83, I was still at school, but I don't know why some other things say 83, but it was 89. I was 20. Um, I was, I had moved to Melbourne. I'd left New Zealand. I was on my OE, ready to head to the UK to meet up with my girlfriend met up with a cricketer who I ended up marrying so we'll forgive him um but we then went our separate ways after spending time two and a half weeks with the New Zealand cricket team and Danny my husband he we went our separate ways he was 21 I was 19 at the time and we both knew we were too young
0: babies even,
1: yeah even though I knew he was the one I wanted to have babies with he wasn't quite so sure So um, I stayed in Melbourne and I was working in a gymnasium and next to the gym was a natural therapies college, something I've always been interested in, health, nutrition, herbs, plants. And there was a 10 week course advertising using oils, essential oils and massage. And I had $180 in my bank account. The course cost 160 and I enrolled and that 10-week course became three years of you're probably the same the more you learn the more you realize you don't know and it just kept opening up a whole new realm of way and way of thinking and being and it was while I was doing my sports massage diploma and remedial massage diploma that we had to get up 200 hours in the community at different sports events And I just thought, what's the quickest way to do this? And the school was affiliated with ultra marathons. And I got assigned to a guy called Cliff Young. And many young people won't know who that is, but a lot of Australians, particularly Victorians, will know exactly who Cliffy was. He was a potato farmer from Colac. He won the inaugural Sydney to Melbourne race, running 1,015 kilometers. And he beat all the field, even though he was like two or three times their age. And I got assigned to him and I just thought, oh, okay, well, He's this old guy I'd heard about. Um, he just, I just fell in love with him. He was just so simple, so so gorgeous, so caring, just shuffled around the 400-meter track, just kept going, never stopped, never complained, just seemed to have this real a simple, makes it sound like he wasn't intelligent, but he just had a very simplistic way of looking at life. And it was during the middle of the night, we call it the graveyard shift between midnight and 6 a.m., he said to me, What do you think of ultras? And I said to him, In all honesty, it's the most boring thing I've ever been to. Um, watching 40 athletes run around a 400 meter track, I would rather, you know, put needles in my eye, I said. And <laughs> he just looked at me and he said, Well, why don't you put your money where your mouth is and actually run one? And I thought I'd much rather run one than watch one because I was a netballer before that. I'd got to state level back in New Zealand. So I knew athleticism. I love participating in sport and I understand the realm of pushing oneself. So I think it was about six or eight weeks later, I was lined up in a 12 hour race. Cliffy was also in the race and he just came up to me and he just said, I'd never run beyond 10 Ks in my life. And it was a 12 hour race. And he just came up to me and he said, look, you don't have to think too much about this. Just know that it's 90% mental and 10% physical and put one foot in front of the other and don't give up. And I just went, yeah, 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 yeah. Easy, easy. And it was about four hours into the race. I had gone through the marathon and all of a sudden this voice appeared in my head and this voice was going, what the hell are you doing? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Who does this? You are stupid. Why? And things started to hurt. And I just, I don't know, I just started questioning what the hell was the point of this. So I went, I took myself off the track into the pit stop tent. And Cliffy saw me in there and he came and he said, What's up? And I said, I'm done. I can't, I can't go on. And he said, You actually can. It's one foot in front of the other. Get back out on the track. And Anyway, I, and then my coach, who'd sort of become my coach, came in and said to me, do you want DNF next to your name? Did not finish. Well, that was enough for me. I just, maybe I'm highly competitive. I don't know. But I got back out on the track. And Cliffy just said, "Just you don't have to run, just walk. And it was a Sri Chinmoy race. And one of the things that they have around the track is a whole lot of motivation quotes and beautiful things. And one of them was, the race is not always to the swift, but to those that keep on running. And I just kept thinking, yeah, I don't have to win this. I just don't want to not finish it. And about two hours before the end of the race, um, one of the support crew came up to me and said, you're actually out in front, Um, you could win this. And I think that was enough too. So apparently I ran the last two hours of that race quicker than I ran the first two hours. And I don't know where that came from or how it happened, but as they put this, when the gong goes off, a sandbag goes down, they measure your last lap. And then we all went into the, to the awards area, and I didn't know where I'd come, but they announced me as the first place getter. I ran 95.4 kilometers. And as they gave me my trophy, and I hobbled up there to get my trophy, um, Cliffy was all excited and just tapping his, ha- his head and his heart. And <laughs> the coach was high fiving me, and, and they just said, You know, you've won a place to represent Victoria in the 24 hour championships. And I just remember everyone was clapping and cheering and I just thought, holy shit, I've got to do that all over again, twice as long? Are you kidding me? Anyway, it was also like, I fell into this, Mike. I didn't plan this, I just fell into it. And then I think it was about six months later, I was lined up in that race in 1989. Um, And again, I'd done a bit more training. I'd done 50K training runs. I'd done a few... um, I don't know. I just done a few longer distance running and, but I'd never been awake for 24 hours, let alone run 24 hours. And um, Cliffy came up to me at the beginning of that race and just said, you're about to meet the real Kim. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, you, you'll, you'll see what I mean. And again, at the 12 hour mark, now I'd done, I was now going into unknown territory Um, The graveyard shift that I told him it was so boring and was coming up. It was between midnight and 6am. And I actually quit the race again. I quit that race about seven or eight times. I just kept throwing, spitting the dummy, throwing the towel in, would go into the pit stop tent. Someone would say something or give me a little massage or use my essential oils that I was studying. And I'd get back out on the track. And I remember one of the lap store scorers saying, you know, how's it going, Kim? And I went, my hair hurts. It's that bad. And, um, And she was like, oh, okay. Anyway, I threw a few, you know, hissy fits. I did what other athletes did that I thought was pathetic. I just, I don't know. I just, it hurt. It was hard. Mm. But then there were moments where you didn't feel anything and you really went into yourself. And that's when Cliffy said to me, how's the real Kim going? And I went, she's weak. She's actually gutless. She's, she's got no, we say in New Zealand mana, no self-respect. Um, And he just went one foot in front of the other, don't give up. And so I did, I just kept walking through the night and running and walking and running and just kept going. And when the sun started coming up, people started to arrive at the track and, and I don't know, I just got this newfound energy as people were arriving and people were cheering me on. My aromatherapy teachers were there that just done some beautiful compresses on me and were whispering in my ear, you've got this. And the Victorian champion, Sandra Kerr, was in the race. She was 41, twice my age. And someone said to me, she's gaining on you, but you've got a two-kilometer lead. And I just picked up the pace and ended up finishing that race running, yeah, and. 68.5 68.5 kilometers, 102 miles. And as they gave me my trophy and they announced that I'd won the race, I'd also, they also said that I'd set a world record for being the youngest female to run hundred miles. And it also gave me um, access to run for Australia in the United Kingdom at the World Indoor 24 Hour Championships. So everyone was clapping and cheering and I was thinking, shit, I've
0: got to do it all over again. Um, <laughs> i to do it again.
1: But my dream of playing netball for New Zealand ended up me running for Australia. And I set eight Undo records over there. Um, It was phenomenal. I, I, it was just something I never saw myself ever doing. Um, But it taught me so much about me and the human spirit and tenacity and never giving up. And, and I use it now as a metaphor for life. There's times when you hit walls, there's times when you quit, there's times when we throw tantrums, there's times when we don't believe in ourselves But then there's also the runner's high, the achieving things you never thought possible, finding inner strength you never knew was there and realizing that people believe in you. And when people believe in you, you can believe in yourself. Or when you believe in yourself, people believe in you even more. Mm. It taught me more about myself than I could ever imagine. Is it something that I wanted to go on? I only did ultras for a couple of years and I kind of felt like I'd been there, done there, got the t-shirt for it and I i don't know I just didn't see I love marathons I love half marathons I just didn't I wasn't inspired to keep running I was meant to run in China and represent Australia at the China six-day race and I was also selected to run for Australia in in, in Australia at one point But I just, I don't know, I just didn't have it in me. I didn't have the real deep desire to do it. I felt like I'd got there and now I wanted to use that. Uh, Also, the cricketer came back into my life. He finally woke up three years later and (laughs) um, his career being a top international cricketer, um, I just realized, you know, his I wanted to give everything to him. So all the things I learned then became my support mechanisms for helping Danny to be at the top of his game for 10 years. And I loved it, loved being his support crew for that.
0: What an incredible support crew you must have been, Kim, because I feel that, that sort of experience, I mean, what you experienced was like compressing a lifetime of uh, emotions and experiences into the ultra marathon event i mean you're going through a lifetime of, of experiences in one of those events you would That's hit right. the lowest low i imagine the point where you're in complete despair to the point of extreme euphoria where you're like i'm leading in an event which i've been running for this many hours there's someone on my tail two kilometers behind me before this finishes and i can actually win this thing so that that sort of thing i mean how many humans get to experience such a great Uh, breadth of emotions in within that time period I would probably suspect that there's not that many so Mm. an incredible experience and and also why I think he probably thought like you know what I don't need to keep doing that (laughs) like that's probably doing that a few like even doing that once I mean as I said I did a marathon and the training involved to do that was a lot and I remember that I still draw down on that in my moments of um dips in momentum or or positivity i still think about that that marathon that i slogged through and that thing was over in five hours so you know magnifying that <laughs> like the factors that you are i can only imagine i mean the 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 positivity that's had to other areas of your life and and then we did kind of ha- i think lead to the 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 multifaceted entrepreneur that you've become and have all these interests It's just such a beautiful thing. And it's one of the things I try and kind of champion is this, you know, challenging yourself in one sphere and applying those learnings into other spheres of your life. It could be sports to business or business to sports or even business to relationships and all this sort of thing. I I love that cross-pollination, which obviously you've really uh, benefited from and really leveraged to kind of go into different new areas of specializations. Mm It's really interesting. Yeah, it's Um, really
1: cool. And I think if we can all see that, that all things that happen to us have lessons, growth opportunities, often there's pain. How do we go through that and grow through it as we're going through it? How do we not give up on ourselves or other people? How do we stay non-attached and non-triggered? How do we actually find the best part of ourselves instead of the worst part of ourselves or if we do find the worst part realizing that that is the best part in that moment and what can I do about it now? Every moment is an opportunity for a new lap, a new um, kilometer, a new race. every opportunity, every win is just the set the platform for the next, Thing that you put your mind to, every opportunity you get, or every loss, or every injury, or anything like that, is just a metaphor for all the other things that occur in life and business. And I think, um, then becoming a mum, you know, that just gave me another whole level again about external consideration and supporting of others and growing these little humans and giving them all the tools that I learned as well. So, yeah, I'm very grateful. How I fell into it all is it it actually makes me realize there's no accidents in life. I mean, what Mm -hmm. made me You know, meet Danny at the Wacker in Perth after I won a trip to Perth because I worked in travel. How did that happen? How you know, like it's just there's just the synchronicities of life. If you could just take a breath and a pause and realize actually everything is so imperfectly, perfectly orchestrated. And if you only learn to surrender to that and then see what it's meant to be. And I think the biggest lesson out of that is some people would say then, but how come? You know, some people have real tragedies. Some people have real challenges in their life. And yes, we do. But knowing that I've written a book on this and I asked a lot of professionals around this, that the struggles of life are also when we open our hearts, when we become more Uh, open to possibility of change or growth or significance. And it's only when we're really struggling or really hurting or really broken open do we actually reach the depths of that vulnerability? And I truly truly believe that it's the vulnerability of ourselves that allows us to really grow. Otherwise, we're just sitting at the superficial, yeah, life's great, but we all know that when it throws curveballs, how you come out of that, and then in hindsight, when you look back on that, you realize it's because of those moments that you are who you are today, or you've met who you've met today, or you've become who you've become today.
0: So Kim, you're a a five times best-selling author. You've you've got books covering topics, including learning, excuse me, the fundamentals of barefoot running, which I find super interesting, the art of self-love, personality types, and goal setting, all super interesting topics. What made you initially decide to pursue becoming an author? Because it's kind of a big leap for, for the average person to go from, just living life to actually writing a book and then selling it so what was what was the process there
1: i just i had my second child and my girlfriend had had her second child and we both did a lot of speaking together talking about essential oils and self-care and i was an aromatherapist she was a beauty therapist and I don't know, we were young and I got phoned, we were living back in New Zealand then, and one of the leading magazines in New Zealand rang me and said, look, we know you're an expert in essential oils and aromatherapy, could you write an article? And I said, sure, sure, sure. So I started writing this article and then I rang Fleur and I said, I think I think we should write a book. And she said, like all good friends should say, sure, let's do that. So um, I didn't know the first thing about how to write a book. So anyway, I put down this two-page proposal. We approached a publisher. Danny had written an autobiography at the end of his career. And so I went to that publishing house and they, they sat there with the book Proposal and in the end, called us in for a meeting. And they just said, Look, we love it. It's just too niche. We don't think we'd sell more than 2,000 copies. Therefore, we're going to have to turn it down. And as we we're walking out, the marketing manager came up to me and she said, Look, I was the one that really wanted to push this, but here's another publisher that might be more suited to you. And as we walked out, I just linked arms with Fleur and I said, you know what, Harry Potter's author, J.K. Rowling, got turned down nine times before she ever got the big break. We just got eight. We got eight to go. And um, so we walked into the next publishers a couple of days later and they signed us on the spot and gave us a $3,000 check, advanced royalty, and I was just like, Oh, and then we thought, shit, now we've got to write the book. So I wouldn't call, (laughs) I still don't call myself a writer. I don't know how it happens, but um, we went away and in a way, it kind of gave us the chance on weekends or evenings to get together. Husbands would have to look after kids or family would look after kids. It almost gave us a break from being mothers because we both had a toddlers and newborns and it just, I don't know, we, we were writing a book for the woman that was like us, that was exhausted, Um, probably had put on a bit of weight, um, was feeling maybe fat and frumpy, not good enough. Self-care goes to the bottom of their list, almost a bit of a martyr. And so we were like, we've got such a passion for essential oils healthy eating, beautiful um, rituals. Why don't we write this? And anyway, over the course of nine months, we did a photo shoot. The publishers wanted these Mari clear models jumping out of water. We refused and really fought them on that and got all of our friends and girlfriends, my grandmas in the book. Um, Danny's family, his sister, mother, grandmother and niece, four generations were in one shot. We had a friend with her horse, my auntie, my sister, like we were all in, all the people we love were in this book and you know, since then we've lost Danny's sister sadly to suicide and I look back on those days and, and I look at the pictures and I'm just so grateful, so grateful we, we did that and we created a memoir, you know, both of our grandmother's Uh, Danny's and my grandmothers who were in the book have also passed since then and a couple of other people that we photographed and I just, I'm just so grateful that we captured these amazing moments of strong women and how much they inspired us and that book went on to sell 8000 copies in New Zealand and, um, and it's gone around the world we've sold I think somewhere in the vicinity of 35 or 40,000 copies of those books now and it went into South Africa. Uh, places in Europe it went into um, some places in Asia and then I got my dream came true of becoming a Hay House author where they took the book and we Hay House published it in India so I had the amazing opportunity of going over there and launching at a beautiful event in India as well so yeah it just uh, it opened up amazing avenues just by having that thought of let's write a book and she said okay and we wrote a book every two years we um we did that we we loved it i've gone on that barefoot running book i wrote with another runner it was just an e-book to help people understand the power of our proprioceptive um facilitation within our feet and how much shoes have cushioned that and you know just how to get back in touch with earthing and grounding and how to use our feet properly and Um, The personalities was a talk I'd been to in my you know way before I even had children. It was a topic I absolutely loved by Florence Litauer, who wrote Personality Plus. So in the mid, I can't remember when it was, two thousand and maybe 2008 or nine I flew to Houston and studied under that umbrella and became a qualified advanced four temperament personality teacher and I bring that into a lot of my work all my products that I've created have always got the four personalities in mind I always think about the four different types of people which is where Myers-Briggs and um DISC and all of those kind of models have all, they all come out of the same sort of hypocrisy's values on the four humors. And so it just, it just gives me another layer of understanding humanity and why I have such a need for attention and affection and why my husband has such a need for space and silence. You know, Mm. it's not that we're different, we're just different, not wrong. And I can see why relationships break down because you know, what we were first attracted to in a partnership, for example, is the things that are usually our opposite. And yet within a seven year period, those things become the most irritating thing. And a lot of relationships break down or parent child because the child isn't the same personality as the parent or the teacher. They then, you know, hang it on the child instead of embracing their differences. And I've just found that to be such a fun insightful way to look at our differences honor our differences but also realize that we all make up this beautiful tapestry of humanity and we all have different perspectives and viewpoints and ways of handling things and not handling things we all have constraints and we all have strengths we all have um, needs and we all have emotional volatility so yeah I love it and it certainly helps me with my children because they are different personalities they're different sexes but they're different personalities as well and mm. um, yeah it really gave me an ability for Danny and I to laugh at ourselves rather than get hung up on our differences it, it <laughs> made me appreciate you know I'd be in the kitchen cooking and I've got stuff everywhere I know I've got my whole rhythm going on and then he'd come in and see World War Three and shut doors and drawers and but he wasn't doing it to annoy me. He could just see a kid hitting their head on the corner of the bench, or he could see wow. a knife falling. But if you didn't understand this work, you'd think he was telling me I wasn't good enough, or he was trying to tidy up. Or but you realize, in our little affectionate names were his. His was perfect Pete, and I was playful Pam. So we'd just go. You know, it just became a really nice way to honor our differences and and embrace them with with real gratitude. Because again. Um, we often get presented, you know, people will be who they need to be so you can see what you need to see. And Mm -hmm. often it's a really cool way that you might think someone's triggering you, but actually they're being exactly who they need to be. So you can see what you need to see to have another perspective, to have a different value or appreciation, or just to actually realize that someone else can think differently to you and it's okay. Mm -hmm.
0: I want to come back to the the personality types because I feel that's really interesting. I'll delve into that in a sec. But before we go there, <clears throat> excuse me, just on the self love topic. So, was that was the first book that you wrote, The Art of Self Love? Was that the? No,
1: that's my latest book. That was. That's the, the latest. latest
0: one. Yeah. Okay, that's cool. The one I wrote by
1: myself. Um, the first book was Like Chocolate
0: for Women. Like ah. chocolate for women. Okay, beautiful, yeah. beautiful. Yeah. Cool, a cool title, by the way, too. I love that. (laughs) Um, So on the self-love topic. So I guess in my mind, there's self-love. So there's sort of understanding yourself and loving yourself and making sure you're kind of nurturing yourself in a good way with positivity and thinking good things about yourself. and, And maybe even spending some time recognizing and awarding yourself for the good things you do rather than always focusing on the next thing and the negative and that sort of stuff, which we can all kind of default to. So we've got like the self-love thing then we've also got, I guess, the self-awareness thing. And I guess my question to you, Kim, is if we focus and this may not be a problem for most people, because I suspect that self-love is in is lacking and self-awareness is probably overriding, but if we become too self-loving, too rewarding of ourself and not aware enough that maybe if our self-awareness dips too much where we were like, okay, Maybe I was too harsh to that person and I need to be aware of that, but no, I'm too caught up in my self-love to recognise that aspect of my personality. Is that a risk? Is that something we can fall into if we go too hard on the self-love balance?
1: I guess... You know, when I think back to high school, if someone loved themselves, they were kind of up themselves. So it was kind of not embraced, you know, as a little girl or boy, you're encouraged by your mom and dad. You're the most amazing thing on the planet. Then you hit school and everyone rips into you or you, know, <laughs> you might do the same thing. And and then you're, you know, there's a seems to be a fine line between confidence and arrogance. Yes,
0: and, yep.
1: and I feel like confidence comes from a place of love. Arrogance to me is ego. So, and I guess from my perspective, there's just two emotions really that we operate out of in every way. One is love and the other is fear. And whenever we operate out of fear is when we flip into self-sabotage, not good enough, um, guilt, shame, remorse, anger, frustration, sadness, all of those emotions can fall into the fear side of things. But we can also love those emotions. It's important we honor that sometimes we get angry. It's important that sometimes we feel sad or we have an essence of grief. It's important that we understand that sometimes we make mistakes and we can we can learn from those mistakes. So when I wrote the book, I guess being an athlete, I wanted to know, well, it started because my 16-year-old son at the time was going through a really tough time. And he was just really not in a good place he was on the verge Mm -hmm. of getting kicked out of school he was it's not a bad kid he was just a bit cheeky a little bit of a brat you know maybe a little bit of ego and testosterone thrown in there and also quite quite forthright in his opinion which I didn't want to squash but it just needed a little bit of honing so I don't didn't want to really put on my kids how they should be but I also wanted them to understand the power of of restraint and constraint and discipline and awareness and all of these things. So for three years leading up to Jacob in that situation, I had started studying this because at all my workshops, women were going, I don't like myself, I hate my body, I hate this, I don't like this about me. Or men were feeling there was a lot of depression and a lot of people were going through tough times. And I just kept thinking, why? Why does the universe, why do we have to go through this? Why are we presented with this? And it was in 2011 when I launched my book, Like Chocolate for Women in India, that I happened to get a one-on-one opportunity uh, up in the Pulping Shirabling Monastery, where I had a one-on-one opportunity with His holiness, the 12th Kenting Thaisa Tupa. And he is the Tibetan Buddhist educator. And I was chosen and selected to have a one-on-one. And I sat in the room with him and he held my book and he said, "Ah, oh, very good, need more, need more of this. He speaks better English than the Dalai Lama. But he said to me, what is, what is your question, child? And I said, yes, I have a very big question for you. Why is it everybody has to go through struggle? Why do we have to all go through pain and agony? Why can't life just be this wonderful, magical, mystical adventure? and he just chuckled and he went very very human question he said Mm. and he said my dear in order to understand light one must experience dark in order to understand high one must appreciate and honor what it is to be low in order to understand your golden shadow one must learn to meet and greet your shadow Mm. and I guess what he taught me was the polarity of life which is why I believe we operate out of love or fear and both of them can have real profound impact in our lives if we have awareness like you said so when Jacob was sitting on the end of my bed at 16 years of age after I'd been researching this for three years he appeared and I knew he was broken but it didn't matter what I tried to say or how I tried to say it unless the student is ready they don't want to hear it. And he appeared and Danny was home. Taylor came into the room and Jacob just said, you know, his life sucked. He hated who he was. And he was really down. And it's tough, right, for any of us to see someone we love in that place. And especially because we'd been through um, Danny, losing Danny's sister. So I, my antennae was up big time. But instead of leaping in as we do and wanting to save someone and help someone and fix it, which is the natural human response, we just want to fix it, make the problem go away. I just sat there and I said to him, look, I've been writing this book. I've come up with a six-step pathway. I don't know if it'll help you. Do you want to hear it? And he said, yeah. And so I drew a big love heart in the middle of this page and I wrote the word self-love and I said, I truly believe Jacob that at the foundation the quintessential essence of who we are as a human, the foundation of what we build our personality, our soul, our beliefs, our values, our emotions, all of that is born from the level of self-love that we have. And I say that with real reverence, not with ego. But of course we fall out of love with ourselves. So I drew a, a big line coming out of that heart down to the bottom left and I wrote the word fear. And I said in the opposite force of that is fear and underneath that I said tell me all the things you're feeling right now and he went angry hurt pissed off hate life hate myself guilt shame all of these words and then I added in a few more for all of us because Danny had been through depression after losing his sister we'd lost all our money in a financial crash the year before so we Mm. were going through our own struggles My daughter was aspiring to be a dancer and she had a broken back. And so it was just like we were all just sitting there and we just dumped and loaded all the words that have hurt us or affected us or that, you know, we felt at times. And then I said, you know, so we know that this is a normal part of life. We know that self-love is important, but we also know that this opposing force of fear underlining all of those things has a part to play, otherwise there'd be no point. We'd just be a plant or an animal just walking and procreating and dying and moving on. There's got to be some point to the essence of us as as humans. And so up the top right-hand side of that love heart, I wrote the word self-awareness. And I said, I truly believe the first step back to self-love is to have awareness, awareness that you're going through a tough time, awareness that life sucks, awareness that we don't always have the perfect life, awareness that people don't always do right by us, awareness that we don't always do right by people, awareness of being grateful for what we do have, not what we don't have. And and they they all looked at me and agreed. And then I said, but the next step because I, I'm an athlete, I like a training pathway, and I said for me the next step, without doubt, when you're feeling that the best way back to self love is then self care. So where most people will sabotage themselves further, drink a lot of wine or alcohol, um, maybe lots of they'll use sex or drugs or you know misbehavior or anger, aggression, whatever, they'll use the opposite of self-care because they're avoiding the pain. And one of my therapists always said to me, you have to feel it to heal it. And part of self-care is feeling your pain, honoring it, but also embracing it. So I said to Jacob, the most important thing for you is to get down. We live by the beach, get down on the beach and bare feet, train. You're a young man. You've got a lot of testosterone. Use that energy. Three things you're grateful for every night before you go to bed, a magnesium bath, Um, if I use oils with you, just embrace it for what it is. Doesn't matter whether you like it or don't like it. Just let me look after you as your mum. or, and one of the other things is you have to have greens with every meal. There's something green. I don't care if it's an apple or some spinach, but you've got to, you know, like I tried to give them all levels of what self-care can come in so many forms from nutrition through to movement, through to, um, rituals through to, you know, time out, relaxation, meditation, all of that. And then the next step is then one of the most important, which I've touched on already, and that's self-discipline. I believe, and the reason why I called my business 28 is that we're governed by 28-day cycles, the moon, the tides, a woman's cycle is 28 days, skin cells renew themselves every 28 days, our emotional cycle from a biorhythmical point of view is every 28 days. Mm -hmm. And I just called my business 28 because I feel we're so governed by these beautiful rhythms of nature. And so I said to Jacob, you've got to do these self-care rituals for 28 days. And I believe that's what gets us through those real challenges. If you have a focus, I've just got to do this for 28 days. I've got to look after myself for 28 days while I'm going through the agony of what it is I'm going through. It's way cooler to put that focus and energy into that as you're feeling all that pain rather than sitting there sabotaging, feeling sorry for yourself and becoming the victim of those circumstances. And then I said the next step from self-discipline when you embrace that. And and by the way, none of us get anything in life handed to us on a plate. And if we do, we then have to show discipline on how we look after it. And I truly believe that the most important thing around self-discipline is that it gives us that mental agility, tenacity, resilience, ability to believe in ourselves, and it actually keeps us on focus, on target. And no one gets a degree without discipline. No one does an eight-week makeover in their body and health without discipline. We can't become great mums without discipline or great entrepreneurs without discipline. So discipline to me is probably the secret source ingredient in those first 3, but unless you've got awareness and you're looking after yourself, discipline goes way out the window, which is why no one, you know, we can become quite chaotic in our thoughts and behaviors. But then as you impart the the power of discipline, self-discipline, you'll notice then what the next step to me is self-control. And the self-control comes from being mindful of what you say, being mindful of how you're thinking, asking better questions, um, not swearing or getting angry straight away, or not reaching for that chocolate cake on day one of week nine after an eight-week transformation program. It's Mm. discipline becomes amazing powerhouse driver and behind the ability to control your thoughts, emotions, and feelings. And I say that with reverence and love, not... Um, you know, institutionalized thinking or controlling. It's more about I have not from a
0: punishment, not not so much a punishment, but yeah, okay. A
1: a liberation Mm. that I do have, I'm the one, I can't control anything going on outside of me. I can only control what I do and how I respond to the Mm. external environment. So that to me is an incredible superpower in itself. And then that leads to self-respect, the next step. And when we have self-respect, we have such a deep regard for one's own being and well-being. And there is no way, if you love and respect yourself, are you going to get into abusive relationships? There's no way with true love and respect of self will you put something like Diet Coke into your body. There is no way, if you truly love and respected yourself, that you would not want to move it in some way every day because true self-respect is honoring your gifts, your gifts, your talents, your magic, but also embracing your warts, your constraints, your weaknesses, and knowing that that's what makes the beautiful, flavorsome, wholesome person that you are. And there's a word in New Zealand called mana, um, seeing the God in me, which is the God in you, it's the connection of all. And then my daughter pipes up and she said, because I said, what do you think it is? And she said, you know what, mom, it's waking up and, you know, making your bed, little wins it's um she said it's eating well but she said it's also being mindful of things like not using too much plastic um not Mm. swearing and abusing people not gossiping not saying nasty things on social media not buying into all the 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 stories or meanings that other people have and certainly her big thing was not gossiping she was 17 at at that stage
0: surrounded by that sort of stuff i'm sure Mm. yeah
1: and i just really appreciated what she had to say there which I wrote it in the book her definition of self-respect I thought was profound and then she said that ripples out into your home your friendships your school your environment your community the world the planet when you have respect for yourself it shows respect for all of those layers and then that when we have and when you know somebody that shows self-respect and really holds themselves well and they do seem to care for themselves and others. And it is bigger than just themselves, that there is beyond ego and beyond, I mean, you know, God is, is such, uh, you know, it's a, it's a word that can have meaning for different things, but God, source, universe, greater spirit, whatever it is you want to call the greater energy. There's something beyond us all, I believe, that we may not even be able to articulate. Religion tries to name it. I'm not sure it does it any credibility um, or non-credibility, but I understand the principality of, of having some meaning around it, but go beyond meaning. We don't have to have meaning in it. It's just greater than us. Mm. And and I think the word ego, which I love, I heard Wayne Dyer say once it stands for edging God out. And so when we take that God, that source, that greater spirit, the greater power, the essence of who we truly are soul When we do that, that is when we step into ego and that's when self-love would become um, self-absorption or because I can't see a wrong word with self-love, I just don't see the wrongness in that, but I can see how being full of yourself or arrogant or maybe i don't know whatever it is but that's usually out of fear right like when we become overly confident or arrogant or judgmental or criticizing if you think about it we're just we're doing that out of fear fear that someone else is better than us fear that we're not good enough fear that we'll never have it fear when you look at any nasty behavior or you know exclamation marks um wrong behavior it is always operating out of fear And when we operate out of love, there is so there is only two places we operate out of, in my humble opinion. And then, of course, with that self-respect, then comes the all embracing self-acceptance. And that self-acceptance is accepting that we're not perfect all the time or more so we're imperfectly perfect or perfectly imperfect. There is (laughs) such a beauty in honoring our Our wins, our losses, our beauty, our ugly side, because as far as I'm concerned, all humans have all traits. We are all one. And when you see something in someone else that you don't like, it's probably because you yourself have been that, or you yourself can be that sometimes. At the mm. same time, when you look at someone and say, oh, my gosh, they're so beautiful. They're amazing. I'm so inspired by them. It's because you yourself hold those qualities and you recognize yourself in that soul. So I just think that we have these beautiful neural mirrors that allow us to see all traits in all humans at all times. And that mm. to me is the power of self-love. And when I finished saying that, I looked at Jacob and he just looked up at me and said, mom, mom. I've never heard it explained like that. You have to write a book. (laughs) And so that's how, you know, two years out of self-love was born.
0: That's beautiful. It's wow. I can see you kind of the the loop there that that whole thing went through and like having the practical example with your son. And yeah, I just, I feel that there's so much value in that thinking and for people to spend a bit of time, including myself, trying to, I feel like it probably isn't a one size fit all the self-love journey. We've got to work out what works for us and what is kind of, of, the, of the plethora of different things that complement our self-love Like for some people. It's more exercise and physicality for some people. It's more maybe uh, mindfulness and time with themselves to, to recharge trying to work out what that right combination is can probably take time and it's not a off the shelf solution, but I think books like yours are a really great, starting or jump off point to begin or even to further that journey wherever you are on it so i think that's really excellent kim you touched on that sometimes you might meet someone who you instantly feel either an attraction towards or that you just for whatever reason you think this person i dislike like i instantly know this person is not my jam i know i've felt it many times what what's going on there why is that happening
1: Oh, look, as I said, there's these mirror neurons. There's a part of you that may have been like that once before and you've moved past it and you don't want to be reminded of it. Or there's a part of you that still needs work um, on that trait or those traits that you don't like in someone. Um, mm. We've got to remember the world is a beautiful, um, as I said before, tapestry of difference different people, different interests, different walks of life. So, you know, some people, I also believe from a soul energetic level, um, some people just aren't in our soul family. They're just not meant Mm. to be a part of that soul journey. And therefore we're repelled by them because there's other people we need to learn from. Um, the harshness comes when we judge it or when we think we're better than them or we judge up and think they're better than us. Um, there's that real that's when we sabotage ourselves because now the minute you start judging, which is a very natural human trait, by the way, it's very it's very challenging to not judge. Um, but it is part of human nature to do that, which is part of our evolutionary, Uh, anthropological um, ability to grow and develop because in tribes we each had different strengths and some people were great at sleeping Um, They would stay awake all night, for example. In this day and age, we might call them party animals. But from Mm -hmm. an anthropological evolutionary point of view, those people are the ones that stayed up at the nighttime and watched the cave to keep everyone safe. And then there's Mm -hmm. the early risers. you know, that everyone goes, oh, gosh, she's such a morning junkie, you know. But those people were the ones that got up at dawn and, maybe hunted and gathered and watched the cave while the night owls slept. And so sometimes we just come across different people at different phases, depending on our personal journey and where we're at and our evolutionary soul growth um, stages, or we just, we, uh, there's a personality clash. Like I said before, some people can rub you up instantly the wrong way because they're just not in your quadrant of how you see the world. And that annoys the Mm. hell out of you. (laughs) So, um, you know, you might be married to somebody like that as well. And when you see someone like, that it just reminds you of of the annoying traits that that person has or (laughs) it might have been your dad or it might have been your mom or it could have been someone a teacher that you didn't like at school that they're just expressing Mm. those traits that really didn't honor you or you didn't feel very safe or very good around and sometimes i just think i always say to myself if it happens or someone triggers me instead of going what a dickhead or you know what a loser i now go hmm why am I being triggered by that? What do I need to learn from this? Am I like that? Do I do that? Have I been like that? Is there someone in my life like that, that I'm actually wanting to avoid at the moment? Hmm, I find that interesting.
0: Shifting your perspective or your, your focus when you have a reaction like that, not necessarily going all in on it's them being the problem, but taking a moment to go, hang on, this perspective's coming from me is it something about myself I'm feeling? Is it fear of X, Y, Z, or is it something? Yeah. Okay.
1: It's never the person. It's why you respond to that person in that way that you want to go after. That's your growth. That's your opportunity to grow because they've been, like I said, people will be who they need to be. So you can see what you need to see. So if mm. someone shows up in your life like that, that you're triggered by, or it's your father or your mother, or you're at a christmas function and auntie mary is going off like she usually does and it annoys the hell out of you this christmas if you work on yourself over this and think why does that trigger me once you move into a place of pure love and realizing that everybody's different everyone's running their own race everybody's got their own weaknesses and constraints and strengths and and tools and why does it why why should it bother you they're just mary's just doing mary You just, (laughs) do, and in fact, the more you do that work on yourself, the more awareness you have around this, the more uh, ability you have to sit in a place of love, the more you'll notice the people around you change. Is it them changing or is it just you and your perspective? And that's Mm. the real beauty of this thing called life.
0: That is profound. I love it. Uh, Kim, I'm going to jump into the post-fight interview questions. Just a couple of quick ones. Uh, And then we'll probably wrap up. So is there anything in particular you're trying to learn or explore? Like what are you passionate about at the moment?
1: Um, Well, I'm really, it's funny. I I started out as an aromatherapist and a orthobionist and a homeopotanical therapist. So I was doing a lot of clinical one-on-one work in my early days and using massage and lymphatic drainage massage and all these different techniques that I'd learned. And then I realized I was gifted with the ability to speak even though I, it was my greatest fear was getting in front of people and speaking but I was chosen and selected by a company to then be trained to then deliver um, speak uh, engagements for in Australia, New Zealand and Singapore and became their international mm. presenter and I hated every moment of it but I kind of loved it as well because it mm. kept pushing me outside of my comfort zone and Who would have thought my greatest fear of public speaking would become the thing that I would get paid to do? So then I invested more and more money into it and started learning how to speak better and how to step out of my ego and realise that I was the conduit For these beautiful messages in order to allow someone in the audience to hear what they needed to hear or see what they needed to see and if i could use my stories my metaphors for something for them to be a greater or more open version more vulnerable version of themselves then that was my gift, not about my rating or how well they liked me or didn't like me. And that took a lot to master that also realizing that not everybody will like me and not everybody, I won't be everybody's cup of tea. And that was really hard for me, someone who wants to be liked by everybody and like everybody. I just found that really challenging. So it was a great ultra um, mm. of understanding that we're not all things to all people and that's okay. Um, so at the moment, I guess where I've moved back into now is now with my master practitionership in NLP. I'm a hypnotherapist, timeline therapist. I, and using all my modalities, I found myself going back into the coaching and mentoring. And now I have a beautiful self-love and wellness mentorship program, which people pay $47 a month and i show up every tuesday as your little injection your reminder your we have challenges we have love seat interviews we have master classes and that's given me the opportunity and that started a month before covid hit in last year and i couldn't believe the timing of it and how mm, online incredible. zoom became such a online community became so powerful and i was only going to do it for last year but it's growing and it's it's such a beautiful way to stay in the work. You know, we don't go to the gym once and then think we're fit. It's the same thing with mindset and mind care and self-love. It's an ongoing, we're all a work in progress. So I've used that self-love and wellness mentorship program as a chance for people to show up for one hour a week, every week and be the best you can be and learn. And when I do the live Q&As or the live coaching, I use real life people in the group to help them shift what I would do in a coaching session. Plus I also do full day breakthrough sessions now with people and 12 week integration programs. I'd still speak and run. I have a beautiful weekend workshop, uh, which is only, you know, around $600. You can come for a weekend and it's called the essential self care weekend. And that's a really beautiful way to immerse yourself for two days into these learnings. And I do the personality workshop and I talk about essential oils and self-care and do the self-love circle and just really integrate all of the things that I've loved in a very beautiful, immersive, self-loving, caring way. And so I've had mothers and daughters come to that. I've got um, sisters, girlfriends, partners, a fa- whole family, mother, father, son and daughter came to one of them. And so they've just opened back up again, one here on the Sunshine Coast in August and one down in Victoria in October. And that's my real love, being in front of and being with people, being able to share these tools and insights, all the things I've been through, and then give you practical everyday steps that you can implement immediately the minute you walk back into your life. Um, And whether you're busy, whether you're searching, whether you're looking for your purpose or whether you're just so overwhelmed and overloaded, those two days give you a whole... Uh, new ability to just let go, empty the cup, and then fill it back up with the things that will serve you and what you need to move forward. Um, And again, that could be personality-based or it could be work-based or it could be relationship-based. But again, if if you really do understand and appreciate the power of self-love, then you realize it won't matter what's going on in your career, business, family, relationships or in your gym or wherever it is it doesn't matter what's going on around you when you're filled to the top with self-love you have the ability to actually touch others in a way of passing on that beautiful energy and being the example not the evangelist realizing you have the ability to help people see the beauty in themselves no matter what it's
0: been a pleasure kim i will catch up with you tomorrow And uh, have a lovely rest of your day. Oh, thank you, sweetheart. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Doing Epic Stuff podcast. You can find all the latest happenings on the website doingepicstuff.com. Or our Instagram, Instagram forward slash doing epic stuff. We out.